COVID-19. Weekly Digest. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to the Weekly Digest here on News Talk. I'm Shane Beatty, and over the next hour we look back at the week that was in the world of COVID-19. It's Friday night and we've just had the latest official COVID-19 figures confirmed by the Department of Health. They show sadly a further three people with COVID-19 have died here, bringing the death toll in this country so far to 1,705. 13 new cases of the virus have also been confirmed, meaning there have now been 25,250 cases recorded since the outbreak began over three months ago. There's currently a total of 83 confirmed cases of COVID in hospital, and of these, 28 are still in intensive care. One of the big stories this week has been on the low numbers of people wearing face masks when out and about in shops and on public transport. Chief Medical Officer Dr Tony Houlihan has called for a national redoubling of efforts in the wearing of facial coverings in retail stores and on public transport and also in places where it can be difficult to maintain social distancing. A new national communications campaign is being rolled out from next week to show people how to make and wear masks safely. I asked about this new campaign when I questioned Dr Houlihan at Thursday night's media briefing. Is that an admission from Neffet that you got the messaging wrong about face masks with the public? Uh, no, it's, but it's a, it's, a, it's, a, a, it's a recognition that we can do more. I think I said that exactly this, earlier this week as a society. Uh, and I think we need to give um, a clear, consistent communication now with the assistance of the work that you do on our behalf uh, and with um, the, the, the planning and rollout of a communications campaign, which we hope we'll uh, be in a position to uh, commence in the early stages of next week uh, and that can help us with the, this particular uh, guidance and advice and what we've seen even though we have not changed our position we've not changed our advice you haven't ever since we changed sorry since we adopted this advice or heard us give a different message in relation to that advice as to what we recommend to the public it still is the case that we recommend face coverings in community settings uh, for situations where physical distancing is a challenge, that's for use on public transport and in indoor settings, particularly retail settings, uh, and that's continued to be our advice. And so that the advice hasn't changed. Well, it may be only June, but already attention is turning to the return of schools in late August and concerns from parents over what will happen. There was definitely disappointing news for some parents when it emerged this week that primary school students could only return to school one day a week if the two-metre rule is kept in place, while students in secondary school could only go to school twice a week. If it was reduced to one metre, primary school students could go to class around half the week, while some secondary school years could return almost at a full-time basis. Education Minister Joan McHugh has said the figures showed the need to return all children to the classroom full-time, which could come at the expense of social distancing. If we just bring back 20 or 50% of our students in August, September, we, will, we, we could potentially do more damage because of the educational neglect and the potential regression as a consequence of that. 
Now, the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation is calling for the HSE to step up their efforts to protect healthcare workers. One in three COVID-19 patients in this country are healthcare staff. The organisation wants the HSE to facilitate staff who come in to unprotected close contact with a confirmed case to self-isolate for 14 days. It's also asking that all healthcare staff, not just those in nursing homes, be provided with regular COVID-19 testing. Our reporter Casey O'Reardon asked the HSE Chief Clinical Officer, Dr Colm Henry, about these calls from nurses. As regards to those measures, um, there's a testing strategy um, that was devised for NEFID by Lorraine Doherty, our National Clinical Director of Health Protection, which has looked specifically at the issue of testing in healthcare workers. And it was informed to a large degree over the, the blanket testing, you may recall, in, a, in residential care setting, which looked at all staff in all nursing homes over at one particular point in time. And the weakness of such a strategy in testing is that it's a point-in-time exercise. It just tells you the status of the staff on that particular day. It doesn't tell you, it doesn't tell you if people have had the virus. It doesn't tell you if they're, uh, if they're going to get the virus the following day and so on. But what, what that study showed at that time was quite low levels uh, when we, we adopted a blanket approach, low levels of, um, of, um, of, of the virus in terms of PCR uh, among staff on that particular time. So a testing strategy needs to be much more nuanced and blanket testing of all staff. The COVID-19 recovery rate here now stands at 92%, which certainly is very positive news for most who contract the virus. However, Deputy Chief Medical Officer Dr. Ronan Glynn is warning that many people are suffering from prolonged side effects after getting COVID-19, despite being recorded as having recovered from it. Health authorities are seeing an increase in the number of people taking a long time to fully recover their energy levels and also having difficulties with exercise. It's something Dr Ronan Glynn wants the public to be aware of. We're hearing and, and seeing of an increasing uh, number of people who, who've had this disease and maybe not even been hospitalised, um, but who are having prolonged side effects or, or it's taken them a prolonged period to recover to get their energy levels back um, we're hearing of some people having difficulties with exercise tolerance uh, over a prolonged period it's difficult to say much more than that at this point because uh, for many of these pe- people they're still within the first six weeks two months of, of their illness and so it, it's not necessarily unusual that it takes a while to recover after a, a significant respiratory illness My point was last night is that whilst we speak about 92% having recovered, uh, we have to be important that we're not playing down the fact that within that 92% there are many people who still haven't got back to feeling how they felt before they had this disease. And I guess as part of that, it's a message to people that just uh, because perhaps you're younger or, or perhaps because you don't perceive yourself as someone who might suffer the most significant effects of this disease if you are to become infected, Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't still be doing all in your power to ensure that you don't get this disease, that people in your family, uh, your friends don't get this disease because the ultimate outcome for you or any one of your family or friends uh, is, is unknown. The issue of masks remains one of the most debated topics relating to COVID-19. On Wednesday afternoon, Ivan Yates spoke to Jack Lambert, Professor in Infectious Diseases at the Mater Rotunda and UCD School of Medicine, about his view. It's very confusing because we're not getting 
clear guidance. I, I, I've mentioned this before. There's clear guidance in the hospital on the use of face masks. There's not clear guidance in the community on the use of face masks. And it's been proven in the hospital that face masks work to prevent onward spread of COVID-19 in staff in the hospital. And it would make sense that it would have the same effect in the community. They're the same people, just a different environment. Um. But is there not masks and masks insofar as that in hospital you have proper PPE gear? In other words, it's up to a certain standard. It's almost like an industrial mask. And obviously it's a no-brainer for health workers and so on. But then you see people going around with cloth masks and scarves and so on. What's the guidance on that? Well, the thing is, is that, look, there's a different, it's a totally different scenario. If you're in the hospital in a isolation room for 12 hours with somebody who's known COVID positive and they're aerosolizing and coughing, you want the highest standard mask. If you're in a shop for 15 minutes with somebody who could have COVID and you have a regular, if you just cover up your face with your scarf or you just have a cloth mask or you have a surgical mask for that short period of time, this is going to work. It's just common sense. You don't, we, you know, we're arguing too much about, uh, you know, Common sense should rule the day here, not argument about of what kind of mask do you need. There's guidance out. If you're thinking you're, you're, you're coughing, you should cover up your cough so you don't spread it to somebody else. What's the difference between that and putting a scarf in your face, putting a cloth mask in your face, putting a surgical mask in your face? It's the same concept. So, so what you're saying is that any time, because I, I thought it had to be the three, I, I wear masks uh, in certain occasions. I wouldn't wear it out walking, but, you know, when I'm entirely on my own uh, and I feel kind of what is the point if I'm not near anyone. Um, but on public transport, especially if it's crowded and someone was coughing beside me, I would wear one. But I wear those kind of triple uh, layered ones, which you, you can buy, uh, you know what I mean, from good sources, as opposed to someone doing a bit of a rag. Well, what you're commenting is just common sense. If you're outdoors walking around, it's kind of silly to be wearing a mask because if you cough and you're not close to somebody, that cough is going to go up in the air to God, to the stratosphere. It's not going to jump 20 feet to somebody in the pathway next to you. But if you're in a closed environment, like a, sh- a, shop-, a shop or um, a grocery store or a-, 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 a bus or something like that, um, it makes perfect sense to-, to-, to have some kind of protection for yourself against other people and to protect other people against yourself by covering up your face with any kind of mask or even 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 you know even a scarf it would work for the short time period that you are on that enclosed environment like a bus or like So like are a you saying in a nutshell in certain circumstances it should be mandatory I think it should be I think it should be I mean I mean we're putting we're placing all this emphasis on social distancing um, which isn't practical in most situations, and it's actually not practical. How can you open up companies? How can you open up supermarkets? How can you open up restaurants? How can you open up the city to public transportation if 80% of the facilities can't be used because of social distancing? I think the, 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 the major thing that makes a difference to me, as far as I'm concerned, is face mask is number one, social distancing is number two, and hand washing is number three. All three of them are important, but by putting all this emphasis on social distancing at the expense of face masks and all these other things, I think is a mistake. Right. Tell me, were you one of the doctors, you know, the thousand doctors who wrote an open letter uh, this week calling for not to proceed with the lockdown as proposed last Friday? 
not not to close with opening up the lockdown. Is that what, yes, is that, yes, is yes, that, yes. Right, and 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 I I did sign that document basically um, basically saying that we should make sure we have all of our ducks in a row so that when we do open up the lockdown we won't go back into lockdown a second time we'd have everything and everything in uh, all of our ducks in a row we'd have recommendations and face masks we'd have recommendations on you know isolation we'd have rec- we'd have rapid testing available if somebody has symptoms you know so i, th- I think it's important to get all of the ducks in a row and i think it's important not to allow continuous community spread of COVID, I think it's important to eliminate it. But you have to balance that with opening up and allowing the economy to continue, allowing patients to go on with their, people to go on with their lives, both, you know, psychologically um, and, and economically. That was Jack Lambert speaking to Ivan on Wednesday. Coming up next, Professor Luke O'Neill brings us up to speed on all the latest news from the world of science. COVID-19 Weekly Digest on News Talk. Welcome back to Weekly Digest here on News Talk. I'm Shane Beatty. Professor Luke O'Neill joined Pat Kenny on Thursday morning with the very latest in the battle of science versus COVID 19. He started off by explaining what we should know about the virus and household surfaces. Yeah, that's kind of good news on this one, Pat, in a sense. So, again, great science going on. So, they wanted to ask a very simple question how, how dangerous are surfaces? And we're all told to keep our surfaces clean, obviously, you know, and wipe them down and all the rest of it. 21 different houses were studied with one infected person in each house. That's a reasonable number, you know. Took loads of samples all over the house over a couple of weeks and then figured out whether the virus on the surface or not. So it sounds like a pretty systematic thing to do, doesn't it? And amazingly, only 3% of samples tested positive from frequently used surfaces. Things like doorknobs, handrails, only 3% of those samples actually turned out to be positive. Uh, more importantly, toilets, it turned out there was 15% of samples taken from those places were positive. And drains, interesting, remember our discussion last week about sewage, mm. drain samples were positive. But amazingly, there wasn't that much virus detected on surfaces. Now, there was some, obviously, so we still need to wipe them down. But it means you need to be less worried about surfaces, I guess, is the bottom line from that study. Yeah. And what's interesting about this is that uh, when they did find uh, the virus, the team couldn't grow any infectious level of virus from the samples they took. Yeah, exactly, which is even more striking. Does that mean that surfaces aren't harmful at all, kind of? Yeah, that could be because the level was a bit low and the way they grew it wasn't optimal, maybe. So so we do think surfaces still pose some threat. But like people shouldn't worry about going to the supermarket and washing their stuff when they come home. That's another surface, you see, that wouldn't be especially contaminated, you know? And around the house and stuff now, it looks as if these surfaces aren't as dangerous. It reiterates, Pat, the main source is other people. You know, they cough at you or breathe at you. That's where you pick up the virus much more than touching a surface that's been contaminated. Okay, and that brings us to uh, places where people might be coughing and sneezing at you. And um, one of those would be in the middle of a riot. Explain. Yeah, this is striking stuff. But now, as you know, America is in turmoil and, and the big fear. And I, yesterday I was on, onto a friend of mine, NIH. They're really worried about a massive second surge in America for all kinds of reasons. One is the opening of the economy being too fast. But a big worry are these protests because what's happening is the, the police go in and they use tear gas and pepper spray. This is called the Miami model, by the way. I've read a bit about this. So after 9-11, the police got more militant there, and they would go in with full riot gear. They'd spray tear gas on people, use pepper spray and rubber bullets. Guess what tear gas does? Huge irritation for the airways. People take their masks off, start coughing and spluttering. And they're worried now that that action of the police will actually spread this virus even more. 
Because at first it makes you cough and sneeze. Um, if you were wearing your mask, that would provide some protection. But of course, you can't breathe because you're suffocated by this stuff in the air. So in order to get more air into your lungs, you whip your mask off, thereby doubling the risk from exactly, the people yeah. around you who are coughing and sneezing from the tear gas. Yeah, people say tear gas should be banned. Should be banned, Pat. It's actually a chemical weapon. Like they call it a chemical weapon, strangely, you know, kind of. So, and it's extremely irritating. And you're quite right. Now, the, the thing to say is they're saying that these protests, obviously, they're very important, and we support them. If you keep two meters apart and wear a mask, the risk is low. If you go on a protest because you're outdoors, which, as we've always said, is a big risk decreaser. But it's when the police go in and start corralling people together, there's more risk of spread there. The tear gas irritates them awfully. And then even worse, Pat, when they arrest the people and put them in the back of wagons again there's a risk of exposure so there's a big concern that the police action actually is going to make this virus spread even more in the u.s and the numbers are terrifying but you know in arizona they're getting a thousand deaths a day at the moment california texas florida the numbers are going up hugely in these places now they were going up anyway because of the opening up of those economies remember if you open up too fast you get a surge massive surge is happening in these states in america at the moment because of opening up too quickly combined with the the protests i guess and it seems they're persisting with the opening up. I mean, they're not reversing in spite of the evidence. Well, it's, it's, it's terrifying that the pressure there was to open up the economy, as we have everywhere, including in Ireland. The pressure was to get the economy back to the way it was. That was especially uh, evident in the US, and they were really pressing hard. They ignored all the guidelines, basically, that the, uh, the CDC had issued about when you should open up, or completely ignored by many states, you see. So there's all these pockets now where this virus is climbing the whole time in the US. The worry part as well is that this is a shocking thing yesterday. This could be as bad as the 1918 pandemic now with the growing number of cases that are happening. It's not under control yet in many places around the world. So this virus could, you know, be in, a le in the same league as that one that, that people always mm. go on about. Now, if you were going to migrate to a country where you wanted to be safe, you know, you get yourself checked, you don't have any trace of COVID-19 in your body, and you say, I want to go to the safest place on earth uh, so that I don't catch it, where would I go? Because Forbes has had a look at this. Yeah, this is a really good study. So Forbes, now people often criticise Forbes for various things, but putting that to one side, they've done a massive analysis of every single country in the world using 130 different parameters. This is everything from, you know, monitoring, testing, tracing, the hospitals, the economy, the strength of the economy. All this goes into a big sort of a algorithm, I guess, and it spits out a league table. And number one is Switzerland. They're, that's seen as the most successful country when it comes to handling COVID-19. Number two is Germany. That's top, they're top of the class if you like, based on a very sort of systematic uh, analysis. Of course, everybody says, what about Ireland? We're not doing too bad for We're number 38, which actually isn't too bad because kind of like, you know, in the top third, I guess, of all these countries. Uh, the UK is way down at 68. They're doing really badly. Sweden is 65. And that just shows you, you know, the Scandinavian yeah. countries are in the top 10. So in other words, Sweden, this is evidence. Sweden got it wrong, basically. We know the UK got it badly wrong. And Ireland is kind of doing doing all right. Not not, not as good doing as okay. Switzerland and Germany. Yeah. It's doing okay. Yeah. Uh, now, the U.S. at the moment is at number 58, just behind uh, Romania, two places ahead of Russia, not the company um, that they wanted to keep, I suppose. But then we know that the numbers they have told us are not accurate numbers, number one, um, because nursing home deaths and deaths at home are not being totally counted. So I don't know whether Forbes factored all of that in. But just going through the top 10, as you mentioned, Switzerland, Germany, three, Israel, four, Singapore, five, Japan, six, Austria, seven, China, eight, Australia, nine, New Zealand. Uh, you know, I would have thought 
dead. That's the place to go, number one. But yep. anyway, that's what they say. And South Korea uh, is, uh, I think, number 11. Now, um, this w- will be changing, of course. That's there the problem. Indeed. I mean, this is a, yep. a ranking I- in the moment. Now, if we are fighting COVID-19, where does the moo cow come in? Well, now this is, by the way, but before, before we finish, guess what all those countries have in common? They wear masks, okay? So if you want to get in okay. the top 10, you better wear masks, you know? New Zealand is a funny one. Yeah, it, it, they measured economic activity in various things as well as the overall numbers ah. you see. So that was one reason. But still, to be number nine, there's tiny differences between those top 10 countries, but they're all within, you know, a certain percentage of each other, you see. So they're one, okay. they're one big group, I guess. Given that but, Forbes but, is a business magazine, what they're saying is that in terms of the economy keeping going and yeah. your small likelihood of getting COVID-19. This is how they rank them. So New Zealand, obviously tourism, a big industry, at a standstill. They're That's right. having to rely on domestic tourism. So economy kind of down the ranking, although public health probably well up the ranking. And yeah, it's yeah, a mixture. Exactly. They talk about agility, Pat, by the way, how, how agile is an economy to recover, that kind of thing is built into it as well, I mm. guess. So that's why maybe New Zealand wasn't number one. Okay, the cows. The cows, oh, this is another good one, actually. I love this one, Pat. So now I've come across this before. Cows can make antibodies, just like humans can, obviously, you know. And a very clever biotech company in the US has been doing this for years. By the way, you can immunize a cow and then purify the antibodies from their blood. And lo and behold, guess what? COVID-19, they're immunizing cows now and taking blood from the cows. Don't need to kill the cow, by the way. You can take a bit of blood from a cow and it still lives, you know. And this turns out to be a huge resource for making antibodies. What's great is, Pat, get this, they've humanized the cows. This is a great word we use in immunology. They've modified the cow's genes to make their immune system more like human. So when you get the antibodies being made, they look like human antibodies, if you can follow me. So in other words, you've made a, a, a kind of a cow-human hybrid kind of, at least the immune system is more like a human immune system. And what's incredible is that you get twice as many antibodies per mill of blood. So cows are very good at making antibodies for some reason, twice as good as we are. And a single cow can treat probably 400 patients. Isn't that amazing, they reckon, when this technology is fully ramped up? So this could be a great source now of antibody therapy. Mm. And as you know, Pat, this is one of our other weapons to use against this virus is to use antibodies. And they, I mean, as, as we discussed before, you can take convalescent plasma from people who've got over you can use their antibodies and they work. Mm-hmm. There's companies making what are called monoclonals. But lo and behold, our friend the cow may, may be our, our, our great help here. Okay, so obviously you can have herds and herds of cattle and you can take a, a, a litre or so of blood because, I mean, yep. they must have a huge quantity of blood in their bodies, whereas the, the human, obviously, what is it we have? Eight pints of blood, they used to say, yep. but whatever we have, the cow is a lot more, so it can spare us a bit more. So they'd be like antibody factories. They would, yeah, and that, you get more bang for your books. When they compared the antibody from the cow, the mixture, it was four times better than the same amount of a human prepped antibody from a convalescent patient. So, so in other words, you're getting twice the amount of antibody per mill of blood, and it's four times better. The reason is that you get what's called a polyclonal response, which immunologists listening would know what that is. You get a lot more mixture of antibodies there. And they're vaccinating the cows, by the way, but the mechanism is you vaccinate the cow with SARS-CoV-2, the cows raise antibodies. Hey, presto, you purify those antibodies and can use them as a treatment. So, so again, it's, it's, it's like a, an add-on to the vaccine approach, I suppose, but this time you're using antibodies. And remember, Pat, the first vaccine came, the word vaccine is vacus from cow, you know, because the very first vaccine was cowpox, you see. So maybe the cows will return again to save us. Now, um, lockdown, we saw um, the Professor Ferguson in the UK saying that the delayed lockdown in the UK probably cost 25,000 lives. 
uh, and it should have been the main headline in all the newspapers uh, today. Instead, they're talking about Boris Johnson allowing young people to have sex with strangers, more or less, from next weekend. (laughs) I wonder what he has on his mind. Anyway, um, the point is lockdown saves lives. Well, again, what's happening, Pat, is, as I said, the science is getting tremendous on all this. And, and as we've discussed before, every scientist is kind of working on COVID-19 at the moment. And the numbers, guys, who really dig in deep now and assess everything, like Forbes is a good example, I suppose. They've looked in really closely now. And, you know, people still wonder, was lockdown worth it or not? It definitely saved 3 million lives in 11 countries, the lockdown policy. That's, that's based on this analysis, you see. So 3 million lives were saved because of lockdown, up to May 11th, you see, and that was really important. They also figured out that 15 million got infected in those 11 countries. That means only 4% of the population got infected. And again, this goes against all this nonsense we're hearing from the likes of Levitt, you know, about herd immunity. Four, five, six percent of the people had this virus, basically, you see, and that's a very low number. And when we reopen now, we're back to the way we were in February when nobody was infected, kind of. Yeah? But this is interesting because three million lives were definitely saved. And the delaying of even by a day or two costs more lives. But there's analysis done on that. And as you said, in the UK now, they're saying that the two week delay was the huge problem there for they would have saved half the number of people if they'd locked down two weeks yeah. ahead. And this is so important but because the lobby there was not to lock down, you know, or and we're doing it now to reopen the economy. These measures really worked. Social distancing actually um, was responsible for 20% of the lives saved, if you know what I mean. So 80% of it was accounted for by lockdown and 20% was social distancing. And then shutting down public events, they see, was important as well. So it's a very important number. Now, in spite of all the lives saved by lockdown, uh, it turns out that COVID-19 became a huge cause of death on Earth uh, in April, more deadly than SARS, uh, H1N1, MERS and Ebola combined. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so well, again, that, that's a bad marker for COVID-19. Again, it tells us how serious this is. It goes back to what I said earlier. This could be as bad as the 1918 flu pandemic. So, again, very accurate analysis as best they can. And the numbers of people dying can be a, a hard number that we know. We can measure it. But, of course, it's not fully accurate. It's with caveats, you know. But overall, the death rate that was caused by this virus will exceed every other cause of death this year for definite. Uh, at, at a peak, there were 50,000 deaths happening uh, from this virus alone in one small period. Now, in, in the same period, say 30,000 people died of cancer, you know, uh, maybe 40,000 from pneumonia, other respiratory things. And this single virus then was causing more deaths than those. Do you know what I mean? So it's seen as a really important uh, statistic. This yeah. That was 195 countries were assessed for that one. So this, this it's, as I've always said, it's another reason to die, which is the first problem with it. But now it's causing a lot more death than anything else. Now, the, there's good news and bad news, obviously. With lockdown and people staying at home, uh, road deaths are down. That's, um, that's good news, I suppose. But yep. then there are other things that are happening in lockdown. In Russia, for example, Russians do what Russians do. Yeah, that's the, right. The, I mean, I mean <laughs> well, well, what they're doing here, Pat, is very, very important. It's total deaths that the virus has caused, either direct or indirect. Now, of course, we, we've always worried that lockdown would cause deaths anyway because of, say, stress or, you know, other illnesses and people not going to hospital and so on. So when you get the aggregate of all the deaths combined, it's moving towards the 1918 flu pandemic. And then strangely, suicides went up tragically 
and that's because of all the stress. And, and vodka went up 31%. Sales of vodka went up 31% in Russia. Guess what? In, in the US, gun sales have gone up 85% in this period. Now, that can partly be because of all the protests and the agitation, I guess. But they reckon it's more to do with anxiety. You know, people are buying guns because they're more anxious. Um, but you're right. On the, on the good side, a lot less asthma, respiratory deaths, because there's less pollution going on, you see. And then, as you said, uh, less road accidents as well. And as we discussed before, less flu and chickenpox and things like that. So, so what these people, um, there's a bit of a morbid job, isn't it, about what people die of? But I've got a final number on this, say, for, for like a nine-month period of total deaths caused by this virus. And then we'll get a, a really clear picture of the damage it's done. Now, let's go back to uh, face masks. Uh, this morning on the pro- on the breakfast programme, uh, they did a report, Barry White did a report, uh, talking to passengers on public transport and uh, to drivers of buses and so on. And the driver saying, nobody on my bus wore a mask. There was one woman who said at the end, uh, you know, are you going to wear a mask today? Uh, no, even though she was in favour of masks. Why? My mask's at home, she said. Gotcha. Uh, anyway, the evidence is, is pretty incontrovertible. But why are we such slow learners on masks, Killian de Gascoon, even the Taoiseach, all wishy-washy on masks. I think the, the problem that has, and you're right, but I'm 99, we're all 99% certain that this is a fantastic thing to do, by the way. It's a bit like climate change. You will get the odd climate change denier, remember, in debates, won't you? You know, and then the media used to focus on that. Oh, that person says there's no such thing as human-driven climate change. So you do see detractors, and science is like that. There's always a few mavericks or cussed people, we might call them, who go against it and don't like the evidence or whatever. And the second problem has been there hasn't been a proper controlled trial and scientists love that you see in other words you give masks to a thousand people you leave a thousand people out and see what happens you can't do that in a pandemic it's unethical you see so but these are scientific reasons you know why there's a slight bit of reluctance but the evidence has got stronger and stronger and stronger even you know a a month ago in my opinion it was extremely strong um but the reluctance is staggering i suspect they haven't kept up with the science part our experts sadly you know and poor old Killian was slightly caught on the hoof. I did feel slightly sorry for him because he said later in that Doyle uh, quizzing, he said we should have masks given out to every house in the country kind of thing. So he was inconsistent in his messaging, is the way you put it, I suppose. But mm. talk about a shift. shift. Yesterday it changed dramatically. Uh, the Taoiseach himself um, advocates masks. The Gascoon is advocating them again. So I think it's getting through in the end. And we're going to see more and more of this, basically. When I interviewed the Taoiseach in uh, government buildings last Friday for transmission on Virgin Media at nine o'clock on Friday night, I pushed him on masks and he did not rule out uh, bringing in regulation for the wearing of masks on public transport. Um, So he was beginning to uh, shift his position because it's not really fair to say to people, why don't you wear a a bit of an L mask there, a bit of face covering? So you get two people on the bus wearing masks and the rest of them theoretically coughing and spluttering at uh, the two unfortunates. And of course, it's the people who are wearing the masks who are protecting the other people if the people wearing the masks have COVID. If the other people, you know, it might protect you, your mask protects me. It's 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 a difficult one. It's a hot topic, fact, because the one thing people come at me, you know, <laughs> through Twitter and so on, is how dare you insist we should wear a mask? This isn't a police state, you know, so you get that kind of side of it. I think, and it's, it might be hard to make it compulsory. I would definitely make it a condition of travel on public transport like the UK has done. It's just called a condition of travel. You can't get on the bus with a gun, nor can you get on a bus without a mask, say. Now, that would help because now there's more people wearing masks out there and it gets more sort of natural to see people in masks. And that might facilitate this a bit. It might be hard to make it mandated in shops and super 
supermarket somewhere be hard to police i think a first step is should definitely be make it a condition to travel on public because the evidence is so compelling but uh, again this week pat there was a study in germany they two parts of germany side by side one introduced masks in april one didn't guess what the one in april the cases plateaued in the place where the, and the only difference in those two regions was the instruction to wear masks you see so another great study pat was another fear was if you wear masks you're going to be a bit more relaxed say it's the opposite it turns out people live with masks on are more aware they observe paradoxically they stay away from others more maybe, maybe they're staying away from them partly but but certainly social distancing is actually enhanced by mask wearing you see so that's that one knocked on the head and the problem was it was all based on opinion and you know the science was was a bit loose or not done probably i mean killian was right in the way but he wasn't so much saying um, there's evidence against he's just saying there wasn't any evidence for which often scientists say you see so that was okay but the, but the public get the message oh there's no evidence you know so you gotta be very careful how we explain this and it is a public uh, information challenge now and getting the message out. And, and the Taoiseach did say yesterday there will now be proper instructions videos and so on how to wear a mask and what types of masks to wear and we, we've got to get that soon now so people yes. actually know the Irish Times reporting on the front page this morning um, that, that the contact rate of people who have been diagnosed with COVID-19, it was two in terms of the number of people they were in contact with. Now it's 3.5 and one individual who tested positive had 25 contacts, yeah, all of whom yeah. have got to be tracked down. They in turn have, tra- have contacted people. So we have to be aware. There is the impression that this has kind of gone away and, you know, the, the presence of masks in the public domain will remind people to yeah. borrow from Jerry Adams again. It hasn't gone away, you know. Well, Pat, you're, you're on fire this morning, Pat. So, uh, so it's masks for slow learners and it hasn't gone away, you know. You're, you're pulling on our history there. But absolutely, it hasn't gone away. People must remember that. Now, if we're lucky, we will keep the numbers low and we'll just carry on and get to a certain point. But as you all know, we feel there's a real risk of it going up again. There's no question about that. And we'd be stupid not to introduce as much as we can to prevent the numbers going up again. And the OECD yesterday, Pat, said if there was a second surge, it'll destroy the economy for two years in Ireland. They've, they've said this, you know. So it's extremely important that we get this right in these next few weeks and people shouldn't take the foot off the pedal. And, and, and wearing masks is a really important thing to do. Now, uh, this one explains how people misunderstand. If a person wants to wear a mask, they are safer. That's their decision. How does the person not wearing one affect you if you have your one on? See, they don't get it that it it stops the coughing. Uh, But if someone coughs on your masks uh, and then you breathe it in, if they have COVID, and you might suck a droplet in. That's the point. That's the point. And that's yeah. That's been missed by a lot of people, even in the UK and places. It's not about actually protecting you at all. It's protecting the other person. That's the most important thing to get across here. But if both people wear masks, you're both protected. There was a study, Pat, by the way, as well. This virus can get in through your eyes as well. And that sounds scary to people. It can get through your eyes, remember. So so wearing a mask will not protect you from getting it unless the other person's wearing a mask. Because then the virus isn't coming at you. You know what I mean? But that's the message. It's protecting the other person. That's the key thing to keep saying. Hmm. Now, this one is very interesting. My husband had COVID in early March and our GP is as confident as she can be without any antibody test that our two daughters and myself have had it too. We've all been social distancing, washing our hands religiously, using masks in the shops. Our friends do not view us as threats because they all know we've had it so they don't really socially distance when they see us. Our question is, how likely would we be to transmit the disease if we continue to wash our hands and use hand gel? Our eldest is very concerned about not transmitting it, but she and her best friend are finding this very hard, and her friend says she's immune, so they should be able to be together without a worry. 
Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't assume that. I mean, we, we, we're, we're confident that might be the case. Let's put it that way. There is there is evidence that that may be true because if you had an infection, you make antibodies, you make T cells, and now you're protected. You know, and when you get reinfected, then you won't be you know get sick. That's the way the immune system is supposed to work, and that means there's almost no virus in your body, so you won't be spreading it. That's the assumption, but we still don't have a hundred percent accuracy on that one. Uh, so I'd still be cautious. Is, is the message here? Now, someone else saying a mask costs uh, about a euro a, a pop. So for a family with two ten- teenagers, it would cost about two t- uh, hundred euros uh, every two months. Well, y- you only wear it in situations where it is required. In other words, if you're on public transport, um, uh, you know, your your mask, you can get reusable masks, you can get washable masks. You don't have to get the surgical masks. Um Okay, another one. Ask Luke about the hairdressers going back early. The barber saying, I'm not going to wear a mask when I'm cutting hair. Should he? He should for definite. Yeah, no, I, I think it's okay for, in my opinion on this one, and I've spoken to other, in other countries, hairdressers have opened or I've had. So again, it's all about, you know, time, contact with people. The, the, the sooner you get out, the better. So if you, if you go to your barber, be in there for five, ten minutes, I say, and then wear masks, absolutely, because that's a source as well. I wouldn't be going near any hairdresser or barber unless they were wearing masks for definite, because again, they could be a source of infection, and you'll be with them for a period of time in reasonably close contact, so therefore you're at risk of being infected. I'm a taxi driver in Dublin, uh, says Finbar. It's incredible. Only about 10% of my passengers wear a face mask when taking a trip. Social distancing impossible in this environment, despite the fact that I have a protective screen fitted and I wear a face mask when I have a passenger in the car. But it's a bit disconcerting that the authorities can't give any consistent direction here. That's the point, but it's, it's, the messaging's been all wrong on this one, especially this week, tragically, you know. <clears throat> so the messaging has to be 100% crystal clear, signs up everywhere, wear a mask. You know, it, there's ways of getting the public to, to sort of uh, comply with health guidance, isn't there? And this should be all put in place now, because otherwise people go, I'm not going to bother wearing it. That's why poor old Killian, when he said the evidence wasn't fantastic, people say, I'm not wearing a mask now. In fact, one woman told me yesterday, Pat, she went into a shop to buy a mask, and the woman said, oh, should RTE and Gadassi said there's no need to wear masks. You see what I'm saying? So in other words, it's very sort of tricky to get that message out there in a coherent way. Uh, a number of people making this point. I'm frustrated that we're being reduced to lab rats for scientists who can't even agree. We're being dehumanized. Pods and bubbles. My nerves, says uh, Yeah, Siobhan. no, that's that's a reasonable point. That's why we need coherence and, you know, consistency in what we're saying, in a sense. I can understand where that person's coming from. And a final one, uh, the two experts in America, uh, Fauci and Burke, say masks work. What is stopping the government making wearing them here mandatory when we cannot socially distance? A child could see that they have to be of some benefit and likely a big benefit. And based on what I'm seeing, I think we're getting careless about social distancing. Uh, That's from John. Yeah, I mean, I mean, but the way to think of it is, you know, people were against seatbelts when they were introduced all those years ago. That, I, I'm a great driver. I shouldn't have to wear a seatbelt. You know, there was uproar about that. It's the same at mass. Think of it like a seatbelt. It could save your life. That was Professor Luke O'Neill of Trinity College Dublin speaking with Pat Kenny on Thursday morning. COVID-19. Weekly Digest. On News Talk. Welcome back to Weekly Digest on News Talk. I'm Shane Beattie. On Monday afternoon, reporter Henry McKean went out to ask people how they'd feel about the prospect of staying in hotels post-COVID. Well, I myself, I work in the hospitality industry and like for us, when we need a break from the hospitality industry, we go away to hotels and we've literally been dying to go to a hotel ever since. All the details you're after telling me there, uh, they sound pretty scary, but because we're in the industry and because we just want to get back and go out for a nice meal, stay somewhere nice and be looked after. Yeah, as soon as things are open, we'll definitely be back. So 
the tourism industry in Ireland is worth about eight or nine billion a year, yeah. and thousands of people are employed. Whole towns rely on it. Mm -hmm. For you, how's the last three months been? I myself actually own this cafe here. We're just about to open it. Um, so it's Five Good Things Cafe, and then we've got a cafe in the Chocolate Plate and Palette Cafe. And in Dunchalkland, we actually had our busiest um, Saturday ever just gone there two weeks ago. So because we're out in the commuter belt, people who would have been in and out of town having their food and their coffee in town are now at home, working from home, and they're sitting there and they're like going, right, where are we going locally? So I'd say we've definitely gained customers over the last while because of it. But um, we're just uh, thinking about the, the businesses all around us and trying to give everyone a hand. And it's the small producers that we're trying to pay so you, you're saying open the hotels, get on with it, and everyone uh, should just, in a way, keep an eye on things. Yeah, I think people are just dying to get back to, to what's, what, what we're used to. And if it's an extra meter apart and an extra table and an extra few quid or whatever it is, if it keeps the local jobs going and keeps all the businesses going, like, you know, that's, that's the main thing. I don't think there is that fear of this virus. So I think it's good to have a menu and people to, to celebrate in their country. I'd rather just like stay in Ireland at the moment. So you wouldn't like to go abroad right now? No, no, rather stay here where it's safe instead of putting people in. Would you go to an Irish hotel? Would you go away for a long weekend? Unless it's necessary for me to, no. <laughs> I think a lot of the of the um, restrictions that are going to come in are going to be impossible to police. And I think that they may, for the first while, uh, be you know really gung-ho about the making sure they're adhered to. But I don't think they're feasible. I, I mean, two metre distance dancing at a wedding. Well, you could do it. It wouldn't be very you, you romantic. You could though. do it. Well, oh, you mean <laughs> the couples? <laughs> be better off having it out, out, out in your own back garden. <laughs> I maybe go away uh, once a year. Where do you normally go? Lanzarote. And this year, no Lanzarote, even though the Spanish want you back and they say if you well, do I get don't... sick, they'll pay for your accommodation. I don't know. We were supposed to go two weeks ago. And uh, we rescheduled it till October because we felt we wouldn't get our money back. We're going to try and go in October. Personally, I'm probably not ready to go back. I can't imagine the service would be very personal. Um, and hard to keep everything clean. I mean, like, you know, OK, the toilet in your room, fair enough, but the toilets in the public areas, is somebody going to clean them every time we use them? Sitting on, on the sofa in the lounge. Yeah, probably not, to be honest, for me. And removing the lounges at the pool, that would be, you know, you're just in and out of the pool, you won't be able to relax, you won't be able to hang around as you do in a hotel. But so many people want to get away. We understand Irish hotel bookings for July, August are through the roof. People want a break. But is it a break that we know, or will it be all change? Well, it doesn't sound like a very relaxing break. To be honest, if I was going on holidays, I'd probably do something like go camping because you're more in control of all your own stuff. I just feel in the hotel that there's so many people you rely on to keep everything else clean and all it needs is one person not to do it properly. So just one sick person and it could scupper the lot? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. And plus you're sharing the space with people coming from lots of different places. You know, countries maybe with a higher level of COVID than us. So I would be reluctant. I won't be the first one back, I'll put it like that. They're saying for a hotel, two metre dancing, no close dancing, no buffets, no mini bars, no menus the waiter or server will have to tell you what's on the menu. Could it work? And even the health spa are going to give you a talk, not a rub. Well, I don't think you'd have too many people going in if the food wasn't, if you didn't know what you were eating or 
you're very filled. Oh, well, if you wanted a mini bar, I wouldn't be one for a mini bar myself. I'd rather sit or a bar, have a bit of crack. Really wanted to get married, yeah, I think it could work, yeah. People yeah. have to get back yeah. into business, things have to open up. Yeah. The hotels open up and and a health spa, just getting a talk and not having a, a massage, could you deal with that? Well, me know, be all right. If I got away for a weekend, it'd be fine, yeah. So you still want to get away? Oh yeah, absolutely, and support the local hotels. Because who cares if you get a massage? You're getting, you're having a wedding, so he, your boyfriend can give you a massage. I wouldn't go travelling this this year, definitely not this year. And I think if we was going to a hotel, and I wasn't allowed to have anything to eat. I don't think I'd be bothered going to the hotel. You can't share canapes, you can't share a buffet. Instead, uh, you just have what's on your plate. Also, the server would just tell you what's on the menu. So they'd say, today we've got chicken and we've got a little bit of rice. You wouldn't be able to browse a menu because your sticky paws could go on the menu and then obviously they're trying to stop the spread of yeah. COVID. Oh, well, I can understand them not wanting people queuing up to get food at a buffet. Would you travel within Ireland? Would you uh, perhaps go to Kerry or Donegal? Yeah. Uh, you are allowed from the 29th of June to go anywhere you want well, in it Ireland. It wouldn't be in June, but I would go to Donegal now at some later stage when everything's kind of, you know, settled down a bit. I'm having a chat with Father Colm O'Mahony Fryer. You don't necessarily go to hotels, you go on retreat, don't you? Well, we do go to hotels for weddings. Uh, that's the main time, and of course now most hotel retreats now are like weddings and gatherings where we have food, you have uh, inputs, you have meetings. So I suppose any return to normality is welcomed. Um, we would like hopefully to see maybe the one metre rule brought in so it makes it a bit more easy to engage with people, to socialise. So you don't socialize. think a two metre dance would work on a dance floor at an Irish wedding? Uh, I don't think a two metre dance rule will work at any wedding, be you Irish or Spanish or Portuguese or Polish. I, I can't see that. You'd want a very, very large dance floor to accommodate a couple hundred people to dance at two metres apart. I know that we have to be very careful because the last thing you want to do is to <laughs> slip into complacency and have a resurgence of the virus. But I think if people are careful, if you wash your hands, if you maintain no good um, hygiene, and if you don't attend gatherings, if you're feeling unwell or sick, well, hopefully the infection will stay low. But um, it is great to see hotels and restaurants and things coming back into stream again and definitely be encouraged. The next two weeks will be critical because now we've had, the, I suppose, the, the first real unlocking of our economy of movement of people. So the next two weeks will tell a lot. If the rate of transmission remains low and if there's no surge in cases, well, I can see the government maybe acting on advice restrict or lessening the distance and maybe having more and more um, interaction among people. So I say we have to wait and see. And even for chambermaids it's difficult. They've got to put the linen inside a bag separately for every room. No room service. I love room service in a hotel. I think we might have to accept for a while a more slimmed down, simpler service. Uh, where yes, the room will be taken care of, you will have fresh laundry and things like that. But maybe it won't be the five-star treatment that we are expecting. You may have to sell for a short time, maybe for a, a more retreat experience as opposed to hotel experience, where you uh, you do more of the work yourself. And even pens will be removed. I love a hotel pen. Uh, I'd say there's not a house in Ireland that doesn't have a collection of hotel pens from not just around Ireland, but every, for every hotel around the world we could visit. No, I wouldn't if if it doesn't you have. You wouldn't go back to an Irish hotel on those terms. No. No, I would not. Um, if it's going to run, it's going to run on full capacity and we're just going to have to wait. 
what's the point unless they have something uh, like a good deal? No bother if it was open. I'd actually do it just to get away from all this. I know there'll be a lot of things that you couldn't do, but just to get away from the just routine. Just for a break? Yeah, just for a week, away from this. Everybody telling you what to do. You can't go in here and you can't go in there. Just even though you'd be doing it still there, but it's a different place. So you'd still be social isolating. For example, no breakfast in bed. Could you live with that? Look, no breakfast in bed. Don't like breakfast in bed. I'm not a big fan. The toast is always cold, isn't it? Yeah, I, I like it doing. I like to be able to sit down and have me breakfast properly. So you would, you would travel around Ireland. You would try and get away if you could. If I could, if I'd someone to go with any officer. So what sort of man do you want? Doesn't have to be a man. So it could be a lady. Yeah, it's just say I'm on my own. So just a companion. Just someone that I could talk to because I'm just fed up on my own. And how lonely has this last three months been? Very lonely. Very, very lonely. So am I the first person you've talked to today or did you meet anyone else? I met a friend who I'm out of meeting her, but that, that's all I'm meeting now until next week. That's it? Yeah, and I go for a walk every day and I meet no one. So I don't, it's like a mug and I think I'm going mad. But I'm just tired of it, a whole lot of it. I just want someone to talk to. That report from our reporter Henry McKean. As always, we'll continue to bring you updates as they happen on News Talk, but be sure to subscribe to this podcast on the Go Loud app or wherever you get your podcast from, and you can submit your questions or comments to COVID questions at newstalk.com. Until next week, from me, Shane Beatty, bye bye and take care.